Good morning, church. Good to see you. Glad you're out. Appreciate you being here today. For all those that are uh, tuning in on the live stream, why we're thankful that you've uh, taken time and the opportunity to be with us also. I have no idea how many people I'm preaching to every Sunday. So I just look at the first five on the first three rows and just pretend that that's everybody, you know. You get right here in the spit zone, you know, right right there close. But uh, we are excited to get the message out. Take your Bibles. Everybody, hold, you got your Bible? Hold it up there. Let's see your Bibles. Or your phone or your iPad. All right, good. It's the first time I've ever... I, I did that. And this, this is the first time I said hold the Bible and like you have lights coming up everywhere, you know. That's pretty cool. Go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And... Uh, we're going to get started by reading this together. That means when I start, you read out loud. Got it? And uh, so uh, we'll, get, we'll get going on our scripture reading here. Please join me. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That is the discipleship principle. That we're going to pass down this information one to another to other people who are able to keep it going and grow folks up. So this series over the next few weeks is going to be about discipleship and about how just discipling one person can be such a powerful, powerful thing in the kingdom. Our next scripture we're going to go to, which we'll work out mostly today, is in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Please just listen and I'll, I'll read this little section to us. Uh, we're starting in verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. The idea of multiplying the church around the world or making disciples, we could get it out of Matthew 28, right? Make disciples of every nation. Literally says, as you go, make disciples of every ethnic group. You teach them, you baptize them, and then you continue to teach them. Everything that Jesus commanded. So we're teaching, we're converting, and then we're growing up people to continue the cycle of teaching and converting and growing up. It's just that simple, yet sometimes it's hard to practice. Here's why, because there's a a mentality, I think, among churches nowadays, especially in America where we have large churches, that people come in and they become the audience. You're not the audience, you are the church, you see. So you're the hands and you're the feet that make it happen out here in other people's lives. You're it. God has called you to be something special in the lives of other people. 
We're salt and light in a place that's very, very dark right now. So you are needed, and God wants to use you to be multiplied out through that story of the gospel into other people's lives. And it's pretty exciting to me when I think that all my mess, He can still use me for something. That's what Paul said. He said, first of all, he proclaims his story. Paul says this, I proclaim my story. And when I proclaim it, I understand this is a, he says, starts out, this is a trustworthy saying. By the way, these next four weeks are going to be trustworthy sayings that Paul tells his disciples, Timothy and Titus. We won't get to the fifth one. He uses five uh, as he writes, but four of them we're going to talk about. Because they have to deal with discipling and growing up people. And so this, when he says, this is a trustworthy thing. It's, it's a notable thing. It's, I mean, it's important. Not just that Christ died for my sins, but he says, look, I've been saved to save. Got it? Now think about it. He says, you are, I'm saved to save, I'm saved to praise, I'm saved to serve, and I'm saved to make disciples. That's what he's going to tell us through this section of Scripture. So he says here, I was the worst. This word worst is kind of interesting. It's actually the word protos. It's the word for number one. That's why in some verses you'll see it'll say chief sinner, right? In other words, there's a ten most wanted list. He's number one. He's the worst, if you want to say, or he's the chief. He's the prominent one. He looks at himself and says, of all people, I, I, look, I persecuted Christians. I was a bully. I was violent. I did all these things. And yet, God abundantly poured out grace on me and mercy. So, so why? So that other people who see this example of God's mercy and how patient Jesus was in saving me can say, hey, if he can save him, you know, wow. It's kind of like if I told you all my messes and all my sinfulness and all the ugliness of my life and you would say, oh, look at that. But then it would also kind of say, well, you know what? Maybe I have some hope. I look at some of you and I think, you know what? I got hope. <laughs> There's hope. Because all my mistakes, God can still save me. That's great because it's my grace and it's my mercy. But not only just save, he says to use me to save someone else. And so that's what happens. God desires to make disciples all around the world. And we never know when we teach someone where that thing is going to take off and go to. Now, so he proclaims his story. And you and I got to learn to tell our story. I'm not talking about just getting up publicly and giving your testimony type thing. And while there's some power in that, by the way, in giving testimony, we never glorify our sinfulness. We only glorify God for rescuing us from our sinfulness. Got it? Matter of fact, there are some things that are so ugly in our lives we don't never ever need to tell. Because it's so bad. Paul says you need those there are some things that are so filthy, you don't even need to talk about those anymore. They've been cleansed. But our stories we only want to tell what can be used so that other people will say, There's hope there, right? So that's what Paul is doing here with his story. He tells his story of conversion, and that gives other people hope that they're saved too. Now look. It's a multiplication thing. It's, if I can tell it to somebody else who will be encouraged to tell it to somebody else, that's what we got going on here. I get out of school preaching. I'm young. I'm fired up. I'm excited, you know. I've had Bill for two years. He's done pumped a bunch of stuff into me. You know, a young preacher right out, he's a dangerous person, Bill. You know what I'm saying? 
Bill taught us, he said, he said, no, brothers, when you get out, the first book you teach shouldn't be the book of Romans. I said, okay, you know. So I get to Uvalde, uh, uh, Texas to start my ministry, and so I'm fired up about this discipleship stuff I've learned. And I meet a young guy that moves into town who had grown up there named Tommy Emmett. And so Tommy moves in, and I said, that's my guy. I'm discipling that cat. And so I met him. We started meeting, and we just started studying. So I started, you know, writing something easy. I studied the book of Romans with him. <laughs> but I tell you, it had done my life so good, I found freedom and confidence and, and assurance. I said, i got to share this with him. So, boy, me and Tommy, we were opening up the Bible, and we were studying uh, two or three days a week. Just, I mean, I was dumping it on him just like Bill and him had dumped it on me, you know. And, and he gets excited, and we convert people around town, and the church is growing, and the, uh, uh, it's the next thing you know, uh, uh, he comes up here to go to school. And eventually, uh, 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 he studies here, eventually comes and works for this church full time, and then uh, goes to OCS, and now look at the hundreds and hundreds of kids that he's taught Bible to and discipled out there. You never know that one person, you disciple, how God would uh, use them in some way. And yet what's great about it is I let all my mess-ups and mistakes in trying to teach him, God got way past those. Why? Because he interjects other people. He gets here and he, all of a sudden he's influenced by someone else. And so, See, it take, it's never one person discipling one person. You pick one, you select and you disciple, but it never ends there. There's always the whole church's involvement. So every time you say, you're involved in teaching, discipling someone. So maybe you say, Mike, I don't know exactly how to teach somebody. Yeah, but you know how to have somebody in your home and you're hospitable. I'll tell you what, you just have them to your house. You invite Chad Johnson over, he'll take care of teaching them, you know, right? Or you invite Josh or Al or somebody, they'll take care of sharing the gospel if you don't feel like you know the scripture. It takes all of us with a consciousness in our mind that says, our goal with my story and with the story of Christ is to get as many people in the kingdom and get that thing going back out to rescue more people. It's just that simple. And that's got to be, that's got to stay the heart of our church. We've got enough churches full of unconverted believers. That's not what we need. We need disciples. Then, I love what Paul does then, because then he just breaks out into this praise, verse 17. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He just praises his God. He says, I tell my story and I praise my God. I love it. It's kind of one of these doxologies. A lot of times with Paul, they're just kind of just pop up somewhere. You know, he's talking about Christ saved me. Uh, other people are going to be saved. Praise God. You know, it's like that. I love that. He's just excited, but he gives God the glory every time. And that's what we have to do. Make sure that it's always about giving glory to God. And then my last point, and you're like, last? Already? Some of you saying, this is pretty good. <laughs> my last point is that we pass it on to other people. Now, what Paul said, pa- pass it on up there, guys. Pass it on. Next one. There we go. I just pass it on to, you know, it's true. Timothy, my son, I am giving you. By the way, this phrase, giving you, this is the same word in, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, we read at the beginning where it says, I entrust you. 
to give to reliable men who can give that. It's the same word. I'm giving you. I'm entrusting this. I'm handing you something valuable, useful to you. I'm giving you this command and keeping with the prophecies about you, uh, uh, recalling them that you may fight this battle well. Why? So that you can you hold on to your faith and a good conscience so you don't get shipwrecked, you don't get knocked off course. Because some of them did. And so what he says, now I'm passing this on to my son. So Paul had this relationship with Timothy where he passed on this information and then kept him growing, giving him enough to get through the battles that he was facing and his struggles so that he could keep that faith growing and going and it wouldn't get knocked off track. That's what discipleship does. It continues to teach people to help face the battles that are ahead of them in life. And so we all are involved in that and helping each other. We all have to be involved in that. That's why we don't give up on each other. That's why we don't give up on people we're sharing the gospel with. What was his name? Admiral, I think Pearl. I think Admiral Pearl was his name. Seven trips he tried to make it to the North Pole and couldn't. Seven times he failed. Eight times he made it. NASA decided to send some rockets into space 28 times they tried 20 times of those. They were failures and never made it. What was the old boy that wrote the, uh, or the play uh, and sang the Oklahoma? We got any Oklahoma people in here? Surely you'll know this. Huh? Hammerstein. He wrote five that were flops in a row that lasted less than six weeks. And then the sixth one was Oklahoma. It made him just a little over $33 million. I bet his wife was saying, man, I'm glad you didn't quit on five. <laughs> right? Now some of, you, some of you women are going to go home to honey one more time. Let's go. You can make it. Don't quit. You don't give up. You never know that person you shared with down the road who else will intersect their life and how God will use that to multiply out through another generation of disciples. So that's what happens when one reaches one, or one has a desire for one to reach, and you pull in somebody to help teach them, and you pull in somebody to help grow them up, and next thing you know, this thing gets to rolling, and, and all of a sudden the building is full of people that God started from a very, very small group of folks. And that's how we win the world. One soul at a time. You see, we have to care for, like Jesus did, for that, that, that one. Look, we're the 99. We're in here. We're, we've got in. We're saved. God wants to use us. And, and the 99 ought to be looking out there saying, Go, Jesus, get that one. He's over there. Let, help, let us help you find him. That should be our attitude. Look, the decisions we make around here, okay? Now listen. Now don't get mad at me. Y'all, y'all love me, don't you? Some of you, I'm wondering a little bit. Love me. Yeah, but the Bible says you've got to love me. When we make a decision about something, when we change our sign, it ain't for the 99. It's for the one. Look, every decision we make is because we love deeply lost people and we want to get them into the kingdom. Now the 99, we gather up, we've got to have that same heart in everything we do. We love people. We want to love and grow each other up to where it's not about what me, it's not about my Kelly, it's not about my, my desires and my preferences. It's about somehow or other getting out and finding that one person 
that one person that can be brought in, because you never know where that one person will multiply out to thousands being reached. What a blessing. If you don't think that doesn't happen, well, just watch this video. people to the Lord and uh, she brought all of her brothers and sisters to the Lord all my life it's been really important to me to tell people about Jesus I wanted my brother to know the gospel I knew he was so strong I mean and, and a leader he was going to lead you either good or bad but he was he was going to lead well, I needed some help and I knew who would be that help would be Bill Smith I just started asking him to come I said, I want you to meet my brother. And uh, I actually nagged him, <laughs> just begged him. And I'd say, please go see my brother with me. And he did. She called me, called me, he called me. So Jan just kept asking me, would, would I go talk to him? After uh, about a month of her constantly asking me, and she said, he said he would see you. So I'm excited about getting to talk to Phil. I knew his reputation. So when I got there, he went chicken. It aggravated me, to, to be frank. I asked, where, where, where is he? I said, he's down at the bar. And I said, well, I'm heading down that way. I walked out their, their door and down this hill down to the uh, tavern. I said, Robinson? He said, Smith? And I went in and started talking to him. It's one of those occasions where we both liked each other. And so then when we finished the, the, the study, uh, we took him down and baptized him. He's the same Phil, except the Holy Spirit's in him. I praise God for what he's doing for the Lord's kingdom. It changed their lives. It changed Kay's life. It changed their kids' lives. I mean, it was like... It was unbelievable to, to watch. It's like a miracle. And it's just, you're just watching this total change. And no one comes to his house and leave, and they don't leave without knowing, without hearing the gospel. I mean, it is, it is his life. He's a special guy that God has, I really believe, picked to help people to find him. My life before Jesus, <laughs> I basically just got high, got laid, got drunk. That was kind of the big three. My problem at 28, I didn't know what my problem was. That was the problem. Before I met Jesus, I didn't know that Satan controlled me. I didn't know that. In a moment of weakness, or maybe on God's part, I sat down and what I heard the good news about Jesus stunned me. I said, let me get this right. Freed from Satan, freed from sin, freed from guilt. Whew, that's a big one. Peace of mind. Free from law. You don't have to be perfect anymore. And finally, free from the grave. That's what Jesus does. I'm thinking... Uh, that'd be a home run. I'm rich. 
and I'm somewhat famous. But neither one of those things can remove my sin or raise me from the dead. They can't help me at all. Therefore, I prioritize Jesus and the blood he shed for my rotten sins and the resurrection. I am thankful to the Almighty for rescuing me from that hell hole. Never arrived, but I'm a lot better than I was. So from there, since I had heard it, I thought, well, one thing's for sure. I'm going to try my best to make sure that all these poor souls weren't in the same shape I was in. If it's up to me, I'm going to make sure they know at least the story about Jesus. I'm going to try to get it in their ears if they'll listen. Amazingly, tens of thousands have responded in a positive way to Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, I take them one at a time, try to help them. I was up to 28. I'm now 69, one year shy of 70. So I've been at that for about the last 41 years. Mike Owens had the drive and the fire and the love for his fellow man. And he told me, he said, listen, Robson, every time you have a Bible study, I want to be sitting there. You all get together, and a lot of people being converted, he said, I don't know how to convert someone. He sat in on every Bible study we had for about a year, which was a lot. And after about a year, he said, I got it. I said, well, get after it. He took off, and to this day, he's still going. That guy knows how to operate. I'm just sitting in there always listening. I said, that's a good one there. Honest. Growing up in the 60s and 70s, you know, drugs was just a part of the culture. And even though I grew up in the church and had a good home, I decided to leave because I really didn't see, from my perspective, a church that was real or where people could really discuss real problems. And so I left the church and uh, ended up in a pretty nasty methamphetamine habit. I would stay awake for days at a time. And one particular week after I'd been awake for a whole week, I came in on a Sunday morning to uh, just crash. And as I laid in bed there pretending to be asleep, our youngest daughter, Callie, came up to me, she was four years old at the time, just stood beside the bed, and I really pretended to be asleep and tried not to hear what she said, but what she said were words that just changed my life. How come Daddy doesn't do anything with us anymore? How come he doesn't go to church with us anymore? And she said, well, if he doesn't go, then I'm not going either. It was my moment of clarity, the moment where everything became clear. I knew that I was taking my whole family down with me, not just killing me. I was killing everybody that I claimed to love. Mary, my wife, came in. I told her, I said, look, I want to change. And she said, okay, would you talk to Ray? Well, Ray happened to be the preacher here at the time. I said, I guess I'll talk to him. And he came over that day. He said, Mac, you really don't have to go in front of the whole church and tell everything you've done, but it might help somebody else that's struggling with the same thing. We thought we'd get told not to come back. They came around us, they hugged us, they loved on us, they cried with us, and they said, you're our first drug addict. We don't know quite what to do with you, but we want you to keep coming back. And those are the words I heard loud and clear. Phil Robertson went to church here, so I said, I'll just talk to him because I hear that he goes and shares the gospel with a lot of people, and I'm thinking that I need to learn that. Well, it wasn't long before I knew every one of those scriptures by heart. And I thought, you know what? I can share this with other people. Then all of a sudden, I started sharing with other people as well. 
And so when I found out about Celebrate Recovery, saw what they were doing, and saw that this ministry was for anybody with a hurt, habit, or hang-up. And so we started Celebrate Recovery. We gave people a place to belong. You know, I tell people all the time that drugs and alcohol really weren't my problem. It was my solution. Jesus Christ is my solution today. I am a believer in Jesus Christ first, who has been transformed by His grace. And I'm the National Director for Celebrate Recovery. You know, you're fortunate in life when you find other people who have the same passion and fire and desire that you have. Uh, they can't keep quiet about what Jesus has done for them. And Chad Johnson is one of those individuals. We would share the gospel with people at my shop all the time. And I lived on a lake. We'd share the gospel with people and go down to the swamp, you know, clear out all the cypress leaves and tupla gum balls and, ba- and water moccasins, you know, and then baptize them right down there in the lake behind the house. In Celebrate Recovery, we're always trying to find ways to plug newcomers in. And so one of the ways Chad came up with was he said, you know what? He said, I'm just going to take some of these new guys fishing after Celebrate Recovery. It immediately makes a bond, and that person feels like, wow, I'm valuable here. They want to do something with me. When you find somebody that's like-minded, to share with them the fire that you have, and then watch it ignite in them and see them take off. And now it still excites me to see him so excited about what Jesus has done for him. And the things you have heard me say. In the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of many witnesses. In trust. In trust to reliable men. To reliable men who will also be qualified. Will also be qualified. To teach others. To teach others. Now it's my turn. sister, one of the brothers in the Lord. See, it doesn't happen without a church. You can just stay standing. You can just stay standing. Doesn't happen without a church being conscious of discipling one another. While you may see the few individuals that that targeted and helped raise up an individual, still there are a whole lot of other connections. How many of you in here were raised by Christian parents? There you go. That's where it starts. You disciple your kids. Dads disciple your sons. Grandfathers disciple your grandkids. Starts there. And it has that consciousness of entrusting this ability to reach other people and tell your story. Every one of you are the next one. Chad, where are you at? Chad, come on up, Chad. He said he's, uh, he's ready to roll with the next one. But look, there are audience full of Chads out here. I'm thankful personally. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Tommy and Rita are here. Tommy, Tommy and Rita, you know, Tommy and Rita reached out to my mother-in-law. Uh, Charles and Barbara Keene years and years ago and, uh, and, and as well as some other couples here when they moved in here and helped bring them to the Lord and Bill Talton 
Carl and Barbara are hooked into that family, and, and they raised kids here, and they raised Susan up here. And she, she was working at the church office when I came to school preaching, and I'm the preacher that ran off with the church secretary. So, uh, <clears throat> but somebody raised her up, and that that you know impacted my life. That she had a faith, and other people involved. The stories could go on and on and on, but snake through this room of how many people influenced. All these folks that you've seen and people you haven't seen. But I was talking to Chad. Well, we want to keep the story going over the road. We've got to keep it multiplying out. And so I'm going to pray over him and his fishers of men and the group that they're doing because there's a, there's a consistent effort there to teach people the gospel and a way to get folks into the kingdom as well as for all of us to be conscious. How can we hook in? Who's the one? You never know that next person is the one that all of a sudden, multiplies into thousands of people hearing the gospel. So we all have to think about that. Who's your one you're going to reach? And you never know how God will multiply that thing out. Father, we love you. I pray for my brother Chad because I know that his uh, Fishers of Men ministry, the reaching out, sharing the good news, uh, uh, it's just been multiplied out. And uh, who, who knows which one that he'll reach that will be uh, he'll pour his heart and life into and that will multiply into hundreds and thousands of people hearing the good news. And we want to be a church, Father, that makes disciples. Thanks, Father, for this morning reminding us through Jan's story, Bill and Phil and Mac and Chad, reminding us of how powerful it is to make disciples and to encourage people to keep sharing the good news. May we never lose our zeal and may we never lose our focus and always have a heart for that one that's there. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a need to become a disciple, you walk down this aisle, confess Jesus as your Lord, be baptized into Christ, start all over. Brand new, it's a great day. If you got off kilter, then hey, look, now's a good time to say I want to renew my zeal and get right back into making disciples the way God wants me to make. That's what our invitation is about. So if you have a need, would you come while we, while we uh, sing this song?